0: Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. Hey babe, let's have lunch. I'll have your people call my people. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine, and lunch is the topic of this particular episode. I'm Ken Levine, your podcast host. Lunch is a big deal in Hollywood, and today I'm going to talk about the whole culture of power lunches in the industry and also some personal anecdotes of some great and some awkward lunches that I have had in my show business career. So, if you're hungry, let's get going. Hollywood and the One of the long-time rituals of Hollywood is the power lunch, and a reader of my blog, Nina, asked a Friday question about the whole power lunch dance, and I thought, you know what, that would make a very interesting topic for the podcast. So I'm going to talk a little bit about lunches in Hollywood, and the industry, i.e. show business, is all about status and power and perception. And so who you're seen with, where you're seen, when you're seen, which booth, which table, all of these are really, really important factors in the superficial world that we like to call Hollywood. As for the restaurants themselves and the quality of the food, eh, it's negligible. Lunch is a time to get out of your office and to mingle during the workday. It's kind of a chance to communicate with somebody face-to-face instead of just being on the phone the whole day. And it's also a chance to eat and drink very well on someone else's dime. Either the agents are paying for it, if you're a writer or director or actor, or uh, if you're an agent, you know, you've got an expense account. So it's like everybody does well, although next year with the new taxes, who knows, maybe we won't be able to write these things off. Maybe these power lunches will be at Arby's. But there are certain key restaurants, although they change down through the years. Some go out of business. Some happen to be in areas where the studios go out of business. But like uh, when I started, I remember La Dome was very big on Sunset Boulevard. And you've heard of Morton's in West Hollywood? Meet you Monday at Morton's. Uh, kind of going off on a tangent, but Monday night at Morton's restaurant used to be the place for all of the agents. That's kind of where they would all congregate. And Morton's went out of business, and there's like a new version of Morton's, but it's just not the same. Let's see, uh, where else to go for power lunches? Well, there's the Palm, which actually has moved to Beverly Hills and is not nearly as cool but still, you see a lot of people there. I saw Aaron Sorkin there a few weeks ago. The Grill on the Alley, that's a big one for agents. There used to be a restaurant called Maple Drive, which was very close to an agency, and that was in Beverly Hills. Uh, they went belly up. The Ivy is another popular place. The Polo Lounge, which is a restaurant in the famed Beverly Hills Hotel. and There's also like a patio area and that's pretty much where the deep dish power lunch activity takes place. It's ringed with these big booths and certain agents, especially these longtime old style agents, still have their booth at the polo lounge. A little more contemporary, you have Bouchon, Spago, of course uh not as many places in the valley but uh pino is one destination i remember there used to be a place called the bistro that was very popular uh chateau marmont that's a, a very popular one uh maza and pizzeria maza which is a very high end italian restaurant on melrose that's kind of near paramount in beverly hills you have the south beverly grill There's Sugarfish. Now, in Brentwood, the place to go is Toscana, Toscana on San Vicente. That's a place where, for dinner, two, three times a week, Al Michaels is there. So if you ever want to see Al Michaels, go to Toscana for dinner. But I've been there, and it's some really good stargazing. I was sitting at a table right next to Diane Lane one time and, you know, staring and really creepy. Uh, let's see. Craft in Century City is another excellent one. Fred's, which is near the Sony Studio, Mr. Chow's, and I think now, and and I don't get offered many free lunches anymore because I'm not an A-list writer, probably a E-list writer if there is such a thing. But the Soho House on Sunset—that's pretty much the hot destination. And it's kind of funny because agencies now represent some of these celebrity chefs. So if CAA is representing a chef who has Kraft, which is a restaurant that's within walking distance of CAA, well, then, of course, they all go there. But if they lose him as a client, if he then moves over to UTA then that's it for Kraft. No CAA agent can ever eat at Kraft again. Now they have to get in their cars and they have to go to a Bouchon or wherever else they happen to have a client. Lunches are used to build relationships. They're used to court clients, sometimes to poach clients. Yes, believe it or not, agencies do that. And also to negotiate. And very important to send messages to the town. Now, getting back to negotiation. If you're hammering out a deal, trying to get the other party completely shit-faced, actually a very good negotiating tactic. And I know that sounds cliche, but here's the truth. All cliches are true in Hollywood. If an agent is trying to poach now he will usually meet in some restaurant that's kind of under the radar especially since uh, he doesn't want the original agency to know about it mastro's at the beach is a pretty good one the beverly hills tennis club is another i mean you can say to the client hey let's go to Morton's Steakhouse out in Woodland Hills, or let's go to Roy's out in Woodland Hills. And that's like, yeah, well, those are fine places, but you want to drive 35 miles to go to Morton Steakhouse? I, I remember there was a young producer and a Studio D girl, and that means a lower-level executive. D, by the way, stands for development, not the broad size. But they wanted to be seen, You know, they wanted to go to places where they could be seen, but they were having an affair and they wanted to keep the affair on the down low. So what they would do is they would have lunch at the grill in the alley or Palm, something like that, but they would always bring scripts. So it looked like a business meeting. Most of the time, however, you want to be seen. You know, there's buzz if you're with an A-list actor or a list director, you know. Unfortunately, if that a list actor was Dustin Hoffman or Kevin Spacey, uh, not so good anymore. But as showrunners, David Isaacs and I, as my partner, you know, we knew a lot of agents because they represented all the different writers and actors, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, and a lot of them became. Friends of ours. They were really nice. And then we had an agent. We had him for a long time. He was a great agent and love him. I mean, he's been our agent for many, many years. But there were times when he would just not pay as much attention to us as we had hoped. Sometimes we would call him up for an update on something. Uh, What's going on And that uh, Sony Uh, Deal or that that script at MGM. And he'd say, all right, let me call the guy and I'll get back to you later in the day. And then the end of the day goes by and then the next day goes by and then the next day. And uh, eventually you get the idea that your update is not priority number one. So in those cases, what we would do when a few of those things had kind of piled up is we would just call one of these other agents and we would just say, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Uh, Laker season is about to start, yada, yada. Hey, let's catch up and get lunch. And so we would get lunch with one of these competing agents and we would always do it at one of the hot spots where we knew this agent or other agents in that agency would have lunch, so we'd go to Maple Drive, or we would go to the grill on the alley, and we would have a very pleasant lunch with this other agent. We'd get back to the office at two o'clock. By two fifteen, that phone was a ringing, and it was our agent. Hi, guys, how's everything going? It's going great. Hey, listen. Um, I checked into that deal at MGM. I checked into that Sony thing, et cetera, et cetera. So we would do this really kind of every couple of years you know it's It's kind of a, a great way of not having to call your agent and whine you know, you, don't wanna, you know you're not paying enough attention to me and there's other clients that are more important. You know, we don't have to do that. We just go and have ourselves a nice lunch. Yeah, we use those other agents, but agents use us and everybody uses everybody else. Here's another factor. Where they take you is important. Like I said, the Palm, the Grill on the Alley, Bouchon, all of those, very good. Jerry's Deli, John O'Groats Breakfast Place, although it's a terrific breakfast place, It's near 20th Century Fox, but it is just a breakfast place. Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, the Olive Garden, all of those are very, very bad. And whether they take you to lunch or to breakfast is another factor in terms of how important you are deemed. Okay, because if they say, hey, uh, let's meet for coffee. At 4 o'clock someplace, you're going, oh, my God, you're an afterthought. But if it's lunch at Bouchon, then yeah, okay? You know, they, they want to meet you at the Soho house. You go, my God, I actually do have a career. You know, many of these agents and studio executives will make multiple Breakfast and lunch appointments for any given day. Uh, when Mike Ovitz was running CAA, when Jeffrey Katzenberg was at Disney. These guys would have like two breakfast meetings before going into the office and then they would have like a twelve o'clock lunch and a one thirty lunch. So needless to say, they did not power down. They did not have the Grand Slam breakfast uh, for the first breakfast meeting and then pancakes at Dupar's for the second. Uh, most of these agents would eat very sparingly. In fact, most of the time I can remember going to lunch with agents, they would always eat salads And, you know, it makes sense because think about it. If you're going out to a fancy restaurant with rich entrees four or five times a week, you're going to gain 30, 40 pounds a year. So these guys, yeah, even though there are all of these chicken Kiev items on the menu... They still tend to eat salads. Now, for us writers, however, we generally go to town when we go to one of these lunches because we know that once the deals have been made and once we're in the fold and we're on a show and the season starts, for the next eight months, we're eating out of styrofoam. That's just a quick survey of power lunches in Hollywood. And by the way, we don't eat lunch, we don't take a lunch, we do lunch. Hollywood and Levine continues right after this. I thought I would talk now about some of my memorable lunches in Hollywood and other places like that. And I warn you that this is going to be a section filled with name dropping because, what the heck, it it is Hollywood, and that is part of the story. Uh, David and I spent close to years in the entertainment industry, and so we have had our share of lunches, good and bad. Now the first one actually does not take place in Hollywood. It takes place in Toronto. When I was broadcasting for the Mariners we were in Toronto and Kurtwood Smith was there making a movie. Now Kurtwood Smith had been in a series of ours, Big Wave Dave's. You of course remember. You can go on YouTube and see it any time. Uh, but he was also the dad in the 70s show. He was in Robocop. He's been in a million Things. Usually he plays a bad guy, but he's a terrific guy, and he was in town, and I was in town, so we got lunch one day, and there at a table nearby was Randy Johnson and Ken Griffey Jr. of the Mariners. Both have since gone into the Hall of Fame, and neither of them came over to the table, and later that night, when I was at the ballpark, Randy Johnson came up to me and went, "Oh man, man, was that Kurtwood Smith? Is that Kurtwood Smith?" And I said, "Yeah." Oh man, you knew Kurtwood Smith. I said, "Well, why don't you just come over?" And I would have introduced you guys. And he goes, "Oh, I, could, I couldn't have done that. I couldn't." Have. And the thought was, these are two Hall of Fame baseball players. I mean, Ken Griffey Jr. was too nervous to approach Kurtwood Smith. But that is the reverence that uh, some celebrities have over others. We had the opportunity in working with Larry Gelbart, who, of course, was my feeling. He was Mozart in terms of television comedy writing. He created the TV series MASH and basically wrote the first four years of that show He did, uh, let's see, Tootsie, he wrote. Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, he wrote. Oh, God, any number of things. Sly Fox, uh, City of Angels, which was the uh, Tony-winning musical of a year. And so we got a chance to work with this guy. And we were at the 20th Century Fox commissary one day. And another writer who he had worked with years ago on one of the Sid Caesar shows... Came in and saw Larry and said, hey, how are you? And Larry invited him to join us. And so it was Larry Gelbart, my partner David Isaacs and I, and Neil Simon. (laughs) How cool is that? Having lunch with Neil Simon. Another Larry Gelbart story. He would invite us to lunch. This was after MASH and after after MASH. We were at Paramount at the time, and there was a great Japanese restaurant, I think it's still there, on La Cienega Boulevard called Matsuhichu. And Larry would invite us to lunch, like once every six, seven months, something like that. We would meet him at Matsuhichu, and we would sit at the sushi bar, and he would just have the guy bring us stuff and there would be cold entrees, and there would be uh, hot entrees. And we never asked what any of the dishes were because I I assume that if we knew, we wouldn't eat half of it. But it was all really delicious, and Larry would just pay the bill, and, and that was it. And then after a couple of years, David and I finished a script one morning around 1130 and we sent it off to the network. It was probably a pilot or something. We sent it off, and so we thought, well, let's celebrate. Let's just go to Matsuhishu and do what we did with Larry. So we did. We show up there, and we sit at the sushi bar, and they're just bringing us stuff, and it's fantastic. And we're full, and finally we say, okay, that's it. Can we have the bill? The bill came to... $400. (laughs) Each of us had a $200 lunch. That was the last time that David Isaacs and I ever went to Matsuhishu without Larry Gelbart. We were, again, in the Paramount Commissary. We were having lunch with a producer who also wrote the movie Project X, which was a movie in the 80s that starred Matthew Broderick. And so this was a few years after that, but Matthew Broderick comes into the commissary and he sees the producer, Walter, and he comes over. And just like with Neil Simon, Matthew Broderick joins us for lunch. And my partner, who never has really had much rapport with actors says to him, um, you know, on Ferris Bueller, how'd you get on the float? And Matthew goes, what? And David says, you know, uh, th- th- there you are, like, on this float. And you're singing, twist, and shout, and how did you get there? How did, how did this guy just suddenly get on the float? And Matthew Broderick was really pissed. <laughs> and he's like, who the fuck cares? What fuck difference does it make? He got on the float. And David, well, I'm just, you know, kind of curious and everything. Who gives a fuck? Did you like it? Well, yeah. Well, that was uh, the end of our delightful lunch with Matthew Broderick. We once had an idea for a pilot, and it was basically a pilot starring 20-something people. And we went to our agent, and we pitched this pilot, and he said, you know, this would be great for CBS. We said, no, it wouldn't. CBS is not going to buy this pilot because it's way too young for them. And even if they did buy it, they're not going to make it because it's too young for them. And he said, no, no, CBS has been making noise about wanting to do younger pilots. I I, I think this is something that they would really like. And I said, well, I don't want to go to CBS just to be shot down. And he says, I tell you what, we'll set up a lunch with us and the agent and the vice president in charge of development at CBS. And casually, through the course of the lunch, you can mention this project and just kind of feel them out. And uh, if it seems like it's not something that they would be interested in, then okay, you don't have to mention it. It's just a nice, pleasant lunch. But if they say, yeah, yeah, we're really looking for younger ideas, you know, then you could say, oh, well, you know, as a matter of fact, we happen to have one. So we go to lunch with CBS and it's just very pleasant and our agent stops at one point and says, so Ken and Dave had this great idea they want to pitch you. It's much younger than, uh, than CBS usually goes, but um, they think you would be really excited about it. So here, guys. I just threw us under the butt. So we pitch this pilot idea, and this director, Wendy, says, uh, oh, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, let's do that. And we said, no, you really don't want this. And she says, no, no, we, we do. That that That's a really good idea. And we're saying, it's way too young for CVS. I mean, what are you going to pair it with? I mean, here we are <laughs> basically trying to talk ourselves out of a sale. Well, sure enough, they bought it. And we wrote a really nice pilot. And we get a call from Wendy saying... We love this script, but it's, uh, the subject matter is a little too young. So we're going to have to pass. Yeah, we, we knew. Of course, we've had good luck with CBS. We've gotten three series on the air, and they were all CBS series. But when Almost Perfect went off, Les Moonves, who canceled Almost Perfect... And he said to us, This was the hardest show I've ever had to cancel. He really liked it. And of course, you know, that's nice. So what? Meanwhile, we're still canceled. But he invited us to lunch, basically to try to seduce us into doing our next pilot for CBS. So we go to lunch at CBS, and it turns out it is the private dining room, and it is just less moon vests. And us. And, I mean, this is like a a giant dining room. And we're sitting at this table that was kind of like the conference table for Dr. Strangelove. And it's just the three of us. And waiters, you know, with white gloves are coming in and out. And they're serving us all kinds of mushroom salads and things. And, uh, yeah, it worked. We, we brought our next pilot idea to CBS. And they passed. I'm bouncing around a little bit, but you do see a lot of stars when you have lunch at Studio Commissaries. At Paramount, saw Sean Connery. And, I mean, that was really cool, see Sean Connery. And Tony Curtis one time came in. And I was with a group of young writers at the time, and Tony Curtis came in, and he sat down in the booth right next to us And I said, wow, look at that. There's Tony Curtis. They had no idea who he was. (laughs) And I imagine there are any number of you listening right now who also have no idea who Tony Curtis was. Tony Curtis was a huge star. I mean, he was really your Ryan Gosling of his age. And he's in a number of great movies, including... Some Like It Hot, which is a movie that you do need to see. When my partner and I had a deal at uh, Lorimar, which was housed at MGM in Culver City, and now MGM is somewhere else, and I think it's the Sony studio, but at the time, it was MGM, and it was at the very tail end of the golden age of motion pictures. We're looking at 1981, 1980, something like that. But Billy Wilder made his last movie there. And we would see the great film director, writer Billy Wilder and his writing partner, I.A.L. Diamond, come into the commissary. I mean, this is like, uh, you know, you're a a young baseball player and you look up and uh, Babe Ruth... And Lou Gehrig come in to have a little lunch. So to see those guys was really something. And also they were making a movie at MGM called Rich and Famous. And it was directed by George Kukar. And this is a guy who for years and years was a huge director. Basically musicals and lighter fare. But the two stars of that movie were the young Jacqueline Bissett and the young Candace Bergen. Both beautiful women. But I'm here to tell you, when they walked into the commissary, all eyes, all eyes were on Jacqueline Bissett. You know, there is just something about certain people where they just exude a radiance. Well, that was Jacqueline Bessette. Later on... Natalie Wood came in. And it's the only time in my life I've ever actually seen Natalie Wood in person. And needless to say, my jaw hit the ground. Like, oh my God, it's actually Natalie Wood. You talk about a geek fanboy. But certainly bittersweet because this was maybe two weeks before she died. When I was with the Orioles... Our manager was Frank Robinson, who is a Hall of Fame baseball player. And he was, at the time, a manager. And the Orioles got off to a really bad start. And he got fired about six weeks into the season. And so they moved him up into a front office position. And I had nothing to do during the day in Baltimore. So when there were home games, I would come out to the park very early And sometimes I would duck into his office, and if he wasn't busy, I would just hang with him for a couple of hours, and we would talk baseball. And it was great. It was a terrific education for me to learn baseball from the great Frank Robinson. So now the season is over, and you flash forward, it's about a month or two later. And Frank Robinson lived in Los Angeles. So I'm at a restaurant called Citrus with the writing staff of Cheers. We're having lunch, and in walks Frank Robinson. So I see him at the hostess stand, and I say to the writers of Cheers, hey, you guys want to meet Frank Robinson? And they all went, yeah, sure, of course. So I, like, waved for him, and he sees me, and he approaches the table, and he says... Do we know each other? Like, yeah, Frank, I was in your office for two fucking hours every day. Ken Levine? Oh, sure, yes. Hi, how are you? Nice to see you. Yes, that was great. Well, I don't have to tell you the shit I took from the Cheers writers for the rest of the year. Oh, yeah, you know Frank Robinson, sure. Yeah, just bring him over. You have Frank Robinson. Uh huh, right. And my last. Lunch memory, this is kind of weird, especially since David and I have been partners now for over 40 years, and we're still very good friends. We still work on some projects together, and we still get lunch together, and we still socialize together. But there was a writing team that was very close. In fact, they grew up, and they were originally a comedy team, And then they became a a writing team, Tom Patchett and Jay Tarsus. They did together the Bob Newhart Show, the Tony Randall Show. That's where we first knew them. We went to work on the Tony Randall Show. They did a great show on NBC called Buffalo Bill starring Dabney Coleman. And if you are unfamiliar with that then look it up on YouTube or Netflix. Go find Buffalo Bill because it's really, really funny. It's like the first character in television who is an asshole, who's a giant asshole, but very, very funny. Well, Tom and Jay had a falling out and it got to the point where they would be doing that show together and they would just divide the episodes. It's like one week, Tom would have an episode. Next week, Jay would have an episode. So if it was Tom's week, he would work with the writer on the script and he would either direct it or he would hire the director and he would oversee that week. And then the following week, it would be Jay's. Well, we had set up a lunch with the two of them a couple of weeks before this big falling out. And so we went to lunch with the two of them but they weren't speaking to each other. Can you imagine how awkward that was when they would talk through us? Yeah. Well, tell Jay that when blah blah blah. Yeah. Well, inform Tom that blah 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 blah, and we were in the middle. Yes. That that was a that was a memorable lunch. See you Monday at Morton's. Okay, check, please. I think I am done for this particular episode. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, and Randy Thomas. If you want to get in touch with me for any reason, it is easily done. I have an email address, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com, and I will write you back. Also, you can follow me on Twitter, at Ken Levine. I'm also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. We will see you next week. Again, thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. Hollywood.